We're turning to Second Peter, and I want you to take your time and get the place. And it's easier finding the epistles of Peter coming back from the Revelation as turning left rather than turning right. And if you turn left from Revelation, you'll come to the wee epistle of Jude, first, second, and third John, and then you'll have first and second Peter. It's imperative that you find uh, the Word of God because it's the Word of God that we'll be speaking from in these nights because we have nothing else. It's not a matter what I say. It's a matter what God says through his word. And so we're going to hear from uh, his word tonight on these Sunday nights. And thank you so much for coming. Now, I want to give you briefly an outline and a sort of a, a, a springboard for these meetings that God has laid powerfully upon my heart. Because we're in last, the last days of time. Many don't believe that. And many Christians don't even care about that. But if you care to read your scriptures and study your scriptures and look around you in the world and listen to what's going on, you'll come to no other conclusion other than something's going to happen very soon. We're in a dark, evil and wicked day and it's going to climax very shortly. And so you need to be aware and you need to be done with lesser things and you need to give attention to the great eternity that lies before us for this world is soon, will soon be over and it'll be finished and we shall be forever. If we're saved with the Lord and if we're not, we'll be in the awful, cruel place called hell where there'll be fire and flames all eternity. Now you take heed tonight what I'm going to say and in these nights. So I want to give you an outline so that you can think of it, uh, think of them as we go through these meetings. Uh, we may not uh, put them in order, but they'll be all there before I'm finished. First of all, and tonight we're going to look at Peter's schedule. Peter, the Galilean fisherman, coming to the end of his life, maybe 70 years of age, inspired by God himself, sets out a schedule for the future days, uh, way on be his time and even beyond our time today. He sets out a schedule to the end of the world, culminating in the earth being burnt up with fire. So we'll be looking at Peter's schedule. And then next week we'll be looking at the pulpit scams because the word of God tells us that false teachers and false prophets in the last days will arise Preaching heresy, but not only heresy, but damnable heresies. And that's going on around us today. If you want to listen to some of the messages and meetings and things that you hear on the television, not only in America, not only in England, but here in our own land. And you'll discover, if you know the word at all, that there's damnable heresies being preached. Liars and apostates and deceivers, Peter says, will arise in these last days before the return of the Lord. So we'll be looking at the pulpit scams, Peter's schedule, and the people's scandal, because in chapter 2, we have uh, Sodom and Gomorrah mentioned, and he mentions that the people, many people in our land, will be like brute beasts. 
brute beasts. You often hear people saying that man's an animal. Well, Peter says that there's animals, there's going to, people are going to turn into brute beasts with their eyes full of adultery. And adultery is in threefold. There's mental adultery, physical adultery, and the spiritual adultery. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, James says, that have adulterated against the Lord. And those are powerful signs of the last days of time. So there's Peter's schedule, and there's the pulpit scams, and there's the people's scandal, and there's the promise of the scoffers. Because we read in chapter 3 that the scoffers shall arise and the last days and say, where is the promise of his coming? We're listening to this for years and years and there's no sign of his coming. Well, there's scoffers. I hear them. They, they contact me. They speak to me. There are scoffers everywhere in these last days. But uh, uh, the scoffing will be put to an end very soon. And then last of all, there's the planet and the scorching. You see, in chapter 3, in verse 10, this Galilean fisherman, who was an ignorant and unlearned man, through the power of the Holy Ghost, inspired in the Word, God showed him that the earth was going to be burnt up by fire. There'd be a great hissing noise, and the hissing noise could well be nuclear bombs. But whatever way God chooses, he can send the fire without a bomb. He can send fire down and he can send fire up and he did in the Bible. But Peter tells us and the word of God tells us that the elements are going to melt, going to melt with fervent heat. And those boys in Glasgow are trying to save the planet but God, the planet will not be saved. And they need to get into the word of God and read the word of God for those boys. I was thinking the other day, one day they'll all cry on the rocks and the mountains to, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. For they're a godless crowd and they have no sense of what, what's coming. May God open their eyes. But they can't say if what God's going to destroy. And so you remember uh, these meetings are going to be charged with, 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 with these truths that we see around us and that the word of God uh, speaks to us. We're, we, we preach so often here in 33 years in prophecy and Daniel and Revelation and Zechariah and all the prophetical scriptures of our Lord, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. But I think that these are amongst the greatest. These words of the Apostle Peter here in his second mighty epistle, Martin Lloyd-Jones said that chapter 2 was the most fearful and most terrible and greatest chapter in all of biblical scripture. So that's saying something from a man like him. So I want you to read through chapter Second uh, Peter. There's just three chapters. Keep reading it. Keep asking the Lord to show you as you read it. And he will reveal to you, as he has been revealing to me, some of these truths. So we're at Second Peter chapter 1 uh, tonight, and we're at verse 12. We're at verse 12. And uh, I want you to pay very particular attention to <clears throat> what this man is saying here. Wherefore, I will not be negligent, uh, but I, other words, I will be not careless, but I will be responsible to put you always in remembrance of these things, 
though ye know them. Now he's writing to Christians that knew something about the end times. And I'm speaking to people tonight who know something about a lot, not one of you, but know something about the last days and the end times. These things, you know them. But I want to establish you and strengthen you in the present truth that I'm going to give to you. Now watch this verse. Yea, I think it meet, or proper, or right for me, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly. Now he knows that he's going to die. These are the last words. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, this old body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has showed me, moreover I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitness of his majesty. And he's speaking now about the transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were with the Lord, Elijah, and Moses. Verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed. Take heed, that's a very strong word there. Listen very, very, very carefully. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the star, day star rise in your hearts, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved. That word moved is like a sailing ship uh, moving with the wind. That's how the inspired word of God. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. God speak as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And we'll end our reading there. And we know that the Lord will bless to us the public reading of his word. Dying declarations, confessions, and admissions made by men and women in their last breath are very interesting, fascinating and most important. In fact, the law of our land states that a, a dying admission or submission is used, can be used in evidence in a court of law as long as the person making it is in their right minds. It's deemed admissible in British law and evidence. I've known of criminals who all during their lifetime, refused to admit 
things that they had been involved in. But when they came to their deathbed, they broke. And they admitted things that they should have admitted years ago. You see, God has sat in the heart of man eternity. And when you and I come to die, it's solemn. And it's very solemn, no matter whether we're saved or unsaved. It's very solemn to come to die. Men are faced with the very oracle of death. There's something in their heart that strikes fear into them. And that fear often leads people to confess sins that they had committed in their, in their lifetime. Now, if the last words of every of ordinary five, eight men and women are important, and much more someone like the servant of God, Peter, the one who heard the Lord, worked with the Lord, watched the Lord, was in close company with the Lord like few others were, eyewitnesses of the majesty of God and his glory, when he would come to die, you would have to pay very, very strong credence to what he's going to say. And what he's going to say, these are his last words. He's a man coming around 70 years of age now, they think, and many, he had many ups and downs and battles and struggles in life. But he's coming here now to the end of his day, and he, he says, I'm going to put off this old tabernacle very soon. I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it behind. I'm going to step out of this old body and I'm going to have an abundant entrance into the presence of the Lord. And so I want you to take heed to my last words to you. And I want you to take heed in these nights of what God is going to say regarding these last things. Now, there are two things in this portion that we've read tonight. Uh, and uh, one is life. He speaks about his life, and he speaks about life, and the other is light. And I'm going to show you those two things as we come through this message this evening. And I will have you these nights out in good time. Now, as this man comes to die, and shortly after this he was crucified, uh, when he comes to die... The, there's a number of things that jumped out at me here. First of all, there's a clarity. There's a clarity at his departure. He's as clear as a bell to the fact that he's going to die, how he's going to die, where he's going to die, and where he goes after death. My friend, that's a terrible, terrible, that's a powerful thing to know. He's knowing, he says knowing. I have no, that word knowing is a strong word. Knowing without a doubt that shortly I must leave this old body. He's going to move out of this old tabernacle, this old body. That steward Todd moved out 7, 7, 17 a.m. the other morning. Steward moved out of the old tabernacle and that's all I was telling the family as I gathered round the coffin. That's all. This is only the remains. It's all the remains. It's all that's left. And he moved out. There's no soul sleep here. There's no purgatory here. There's a moving out, absent from the body, moving out into the presence of the Lord. Peter's very clear about that. Are you clear about that tonight? 
If you're not saved, you couldn't be very clear about it. That when you breathe your last breath, like the man walking up the garden to get a spade out of the shed and he didn't get halfway up the garden till he dropped dead. Are you sure where you're going to go if you were to drop dead? This man says, knowing that shortly I must put off this old body, this old tabernacle, as the Lord has told me. And I'll have an abundant entrance into the presence of the Lord. So he's clear about the fact that death is coming. Are you clear about the fact? I don't have to tell you tonight that death is coming to you. Coming to you. Are you clear on that? You could be in the valley tonight. Not in the valley at the lifeboat, but you could be in the valley of death tonight. You see, the psalmist talks about the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. If there's a shadow, the substance is not far away. And he might not be far away from you tonight, the grim reaper of death. Let me get that home to you tonight. You might never see tomorrow morning. The shepherd psalm, yea, though I walk through the valley, the psalmist says, though, I believe he had a hint there to think that we might not, and some of us are not going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some, some of us are going to go up when, when Jesus comes, and I'm going to make that very clear tonight. But though, though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no ill. Are you ready tonight? Are you ready? After all the bumps and trials and troubles of Peter and mistakes and failures, he's clear about the fact that he's going to die. And he's clear about the fact how he's going to die. For the Lord told him in John 21 that he would stretch out his arms and he would be crucified. And he stretched out his arms and he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like me, Lord and Master. Crucify me upside down. And they crucified him upside down. What an awful death that must have been. What an awful, cruel, lingering death the cross is. And this man says, he's not thinking about death. He's not, in that sense, he's not afraid of death. Boy, I, I tell you, if, if I knew, you don't know. You don't know how you're going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. And you don't know where you're going to die. He did. And I'm glad I don't know. But I tell you this, if I knew that I was going to die being crucified upside down on a cross, I don't know whether I'd be able to live. But this man looked away, he looked away past that. He was clear about he was going to die. He was clear how, how he was going to die. And he was clear what comes after death. He says it's an abundant entrance into the presence of the Lord. He's not only dying as the Lord, he's not only dying as, as the Savior, having him as Savior, but having him as Lord. You see, there was a time in Peter's life when he was only a Savior. But there was a time came in his life when he made him Lord. Is he Lord of your life tonight? Oh no, you're saved and you're going to heaven and all's well, but you're, he's not Lord of your life. You're not submissive unto him. You sang there. But following the Lord and his will be done. And I'll do it. You'll sing it. It's one thing being saved and going to heaven. And thank God for that. But my friend, there's more to the cross than that. You have to take up your cross and follow me. Is he Lord of your life? 
Have you submitted everything into his hand? Have you committed your life, your work, your family? And say, Lord, here am I. I tell you, it's big business. When you make him Lord of your life, he was Lord of his life. There was a time when he was only saved. He was saved when his brother Andrew brought him to Jesus and he was saved. Hallelujah, he was. But my friend, he was up and down and he was in and out. He was fighting in the Gethsemane when he should have been standing and shutting up. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. In Gethsemane, he was sleeping when he, when he should have been praying. In Luke, John 21, he was fishing when he should have been waiting. But whenever you come over into the axe and into the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell upon them, he was not only Savior, but he was Lord and he was Christ the Messiah. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love to hear the full titles of the Lord being spoke. Jesus this and Jesus that and Jesus that. I tell you, he's more than Jesus to me. He's more than my Savior. He's my Lord and he's my Christ, the anointed one, the Son of the living God. The very first prayer after Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost fell upon Peter, Lord, thou knowest the heart of man. (laughs) I tell you, he knows your heart tonight. He knows it well. And if you're going to have an abundant entrance into the presence of the fallen fanaticism, oh, no, if I just can get into heaven and get the door shut after me. I don't want to go into heaven like that. Paul Peter says, an abundant entrance into the presence of the Lord. Knowing that he was going to be crucified. It wasn't the cross that worried him. He's looking for the crown. Hallelujah. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. So you see the clarity of Peter. Are you clear on these things tonight? Are you clear that you're going to die and you're going to die soon? And if you die without Christ, you die without hope. Are you clear on this? That it could happen tonight. And I trust you are. And if you're not, you will be before this meeting's over. Secondly, there's not only his clarity, his responsibility. Now I'm setting the scene here for what's going to come afterwards. There's a responsibility to the people and to the flock before he passes. Verse 13, he says, it's only right. It's only proper. It's only dutiful of me to do one thing before I go. What is the one thing this man wants to do before he goes? Give us testimony? No. Write a book? No. If you go to America now and you write a book, you've made it. What, 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 what I'm going to testify? I'm going to write a book? I want to talk about my prison days. Boy, I'll tell you, you'd have him up and down the country giving his testimony and telling him about the angel coming into prison, but he's not interested in any of those things. But what is he interested in? What is the main goal of this man's dying breath? What is he saying? He says it's only right and meet and proper for me to stir you up to remembrance. That's what he says. And if you care to study that three times, he uses the word remembrance. Verse 12, verse 13, verse 15. He's calling these people to remember things that they had already known, things that they had already been taught. And that's my, what I am doing in these nights, not only to you, but according to the press at the weekend, 3,000 people listening. Well, praise the Lord. According to you and whoever's listening to me out there, I want to stir you up to things that you already know. 
I don't believe I'm talking to too many people who know nothing about the fact that the Lord's coming and the Antichrist and the last days. I don't believe there's so many. And certainly I don't believe there's any, many in this fellowship. He says, it's my duty to stir you up to remember, to remember, 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 remember what you've been taught. And you start bringing back to your mind the things that you have been taught. You see, these people were taught. They knew the word, they were Jews. They knew the word of God. They knew about the days of Noah. They knew about the days of Lot. They knew about pestilences and earthquakes and famines. They knew the first prophecy in Genesis about the seed of the woman. They knew from the Old Testament and the New Testament. They knew from Daniel and Zechariah. They knew from Jesus in Matthew 24 and Luke 17 and Paul the Apostle in his Thessalonians and his Corinthian epistles. They knew, they knew. He says, I want to stir you up. And that's my job. I want to stir you up. I want the wooden spoon. Give the wooden spoon something to do in these nights. Stir you up and call you to these things that you have in your mind. That the end of all things is near. The end of all things are near. Peter 1, 7. Souls are dropping into hell. Can I stir you up, believer? Can I stir you up? Two every second are falling into the flames of hell and will never get out. While they're weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Why didn't somebody tell me? Why didn't you pray for me? Father, why didn't you live before me? Mother, why didn't you live before me the way you should have? You never were in the prayer meeting. You never prayed for me. And there's no exits. Hell has no exits. Do you know that child abuse and paedophilia has Increased 70% since lockdown in England, Wales, Northern Ireland. Does that concern you? Does, do we not need to be stored up to what's going on around us? You see that word stir, stir. And let me say something else. There's 150 major disasters and floods and fire. Since the first lockdown, 150 major disasters, and those are accurate, and I can quote where I get them. We're heading to the end, we're steamrolling to the end as fast as we can, and it seems that the world are more concerned than the church. That word store means to awaken out of sleep. Boys, there's a phrase in the Gospels. Jesus says, when men slept. When men slept, the enemy sowed the tares. When Jonah was sleeping in the boat, Nineveh was perishing. And the old mariners that all belonged to different gods and they prayed and cried unto their gods 
I have a sister who lives in London and she had to move house because there was a mosque beside her. Four o'clock in the morning, she said it started. Oh, bless her, she said, you wouldn't sleep a wink with the roars. And the noises. And the sirens. The old mariners are crying unto their God and the servant of God is asleep. May God awaken us. Boys of other days, we need to be awakened in these days. Twice, this word stir is in one incident in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen. The storm in Galilee. It says a great tempest arose. That's the same word. The sea was stirred. And when the master was asleep, they went and shook him and said, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose. That's the word stir. He rose. Boy, he was stirred. The old world is like the godless. The sea is like the godless world tonight, stirring up all its dirt and trash and lies, as we know very well. Paul at Athens waited on them to come to meet him, and the spirit was stirred within him when he saw the whole city given over to idolatry. Now hear me. This word stir that Peter uses here, imagine the end in his days, with emphasis on one word like this, a man like Peter. All he wants to do is to stir the people up. God bless if he was here today, what would he not do? What would he not do? It's the same word as the word zeal. Tis the word to be fired up in full flame. To be red hot with zeal. Now the word of God has much to say about zealots. About zealots. And, and we're told it's good to be zealously affected in a good thing. But boy, to be zealously affected in an evil thing. Mussolini. The Jehovah Witnesses. The abortionists. Hitler. Alexander the Great, all zealed, zealed up, fired up, fired up on an evil thing. But to be fired up on a good thing, to be fired up on a godly thing, to be fired up on a spiritual thing, is what we need men and women today. The Lord Jesus covered himself uh, with a cloak, with zeal, on fire. He was stirred up to the heart when he went in and scourged them out of the temple. The zeal of thine house has eaten me up when he saw what was going on in the outer courts of the temple. We don't seem to care what goes on in the church today. God has made his house a house of prayer and turned it into a den of thieves, capering and carrying on. And you'd hardly recognize it as a church. I tell you, my friend, when we come into the second period, we will not be sparing them. 
I tell you, the pulpit needs a cleansing in our land. And our denominations need a scattering, the whole lot of them. The Lord Jesus was full of zeal. For the zeal, the power for the fire that burned in his heart and in his soul and in Paul and in Peter and in the apostles and through the days that they're nearly all, almost all of them were martyred for the faith. I was thinking about Amy Wilson Carmichael who preached in the welcome hall and behind the pulpit at that time there was a big portrait of Amy Wilson Carmichael. Made me think about her and ask about her. 55 years in India. Never come home once and follow. From the back streets of Belfast, full of zeal, burnt out for God. I was thinking of David Brainerd and the North American Indians, died at 29, spitting blood in the snow. I was thinking about Henry Martin, the Cambridge graduate. Do you know about Henry Martin in Cambridge? you know what the Cambridge scholars told him? We can teach you no more. You know everything that you can know. He was one of the greatest intellectual brains that ever lived. God took a dealing with Henry Martin and landed him way out. He landed him way out in Persia and India. And he died at 31, burnt out for God. And some of you listen to me and you're studying to be doctors and you're studying to be nurses and you're studying to be, to be bank managers and you're studying to get money and you're trying to make a fortune and the world is coming to an end. Have you ever got down and lay before God for a week and fasted and prayed and said, take my life and let it be? Consecrated Lord to thee. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put your children on the altar and kept them there? I'll tell you it's costly. Are you desirous to know the will of God? Are you desirous to die on fire for God, no matter what comes or may? Man, these are serious days. Very serious days. So we see Peter's clarity. We see Peter's responsibility. We see Peter's legacy in verse 15. After my decease, that's the same word used when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. No speaking about the decease of the Lord and his death. He says, after I go, after I leave, after I move out, I want you to remember what I told you. You know, the best legacy that I can leave this church and this fellowship here, and I may have to put off this old tabernacle very soon, but the best legacy that I can leave this church here is that men and women would be full of faith and fire for God. I don't want to leave an old dead carnal church. I don't want to leave a lady in church lukewarm, nauseating the Lord and vomiting it, spewing us out of his mouth. I don't want to be in it or part of it. And they lay to see in church in this day, in this hour, Jesus says to make me sick, for they're neither hot nor cold. He says, I'd rather have you cold. He'd rather have an unsaved man sitting in this pew tonight. He'd rather have an unsaved man than a lukewarm Christian. 
Because he didn't die to make you a lukewarm Christian. He didn't die just to take the same seed and I'm going to heaven and I'm going to live what I like, the way I like. I'm going to do what I like and I'm going to make money and I'm going to snatch it up and keep it in the bank and I'll give the Lord just a pittance of it at the end of the day. He didn't save you for that, sir. And you're going to the judgment seat, remember. You're going to stand at the, at the bema. And you're going to have to give an account from every moment from you got saved, what you've done with your ties, with your ties, with your time, and with your talents. I would just want to leave behind here, church, at the stand for truth and stand against all the lies that have been hitting us in these days. Stand for truth. Men that will pray and weep and fast between the porch and the altar and hold on to God for the revival that will come if we hold on before he comes to take us home. Peter's clarity, Peter's responsibility, Peter's legacy, the legacy, oh, what I want to leave behind is men and women stirred up on fire for God. I'm going to look briefly now at the light. I said that have you out seven or before it and I will. Look at verse 19 where it says this. We have also a sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well. Ye take heed as unto a light. Watch this awful phrase. That shineth in a dark place. Shineth in a dark place place. Now he's obviously in that verse referring to the prophetical scriptures in the last days. Until the day dawns and the morning star appears until he comes. We'll just touch that as we finish. But I want to get this home to you tonight. A dark place. A light in a dark place. Let me ask you, is your heart a dark place tonight? Hmm? And I'm going to show you before I close that the light can shine in. As it says here, a light that shineth. But Peter's not only not only referring here prophetically to the world being a dark place, that word, that word dark is squalid, a desert, a barren place, and boy, that world is that. But he's speaking presently, and I'll tell you why, just if you give me a half a minute. He's speaking presently, he's writing this in A.D. 64, and this was one of the darkest days in the Jewish calendar. Of persecution. It was the Neronic persecution. And he's speaking to people in this setting. God help the Jews. Boy, they know what persecution is. And they'll know what more is yet. Nero had a builder's yard and builder's farm set on fire. Why, I don't know. But the fire spread. And all of Rome burnt to the ground. 
and he blamed the Christians for doing it. So if you're accused wrongfully, don't you get too excited about it, you know. Because we're accused wrongly of many things at many times. But if you read through the first epistle of Peter, he tells you that when he reviled, he reviled not again. And he goes on to tell us how to handle it. But they blamed the Christians and a mile or so outside, in his, outside of Rome in his palace said that he fiddled, played the fiddle. But there was no fiddles in those days. It was the lair. He played the musical instrument anyway as Rome burnt. And all the people in Rome that fled from the fire turned against the Christians. And the scenes and the sights that followed, my friend, were the most gruesome ever. They gathered men, women, and children into the own Colosseum that you saw the remains of it the other day when you were, if you were watching that crowd. And he gathered them in there on a Saturday and thousands of people gathered round, bloodthirsty people, and they let the lions roost them all, the women and the children, and children in their arms. And they dressed them up in, in clothing of animals, and they let the lions and the bears loose on them, and tore them asunder. And they wrapped straw around them, and round them, and round them, and tied it round them, and soaked it with inflammable liquid, and brought them over to his palace, and they set it on fire. And when they were banqueting, and, and dancing, and carousing inside, the lights of the burning Jews lit the whole countryside up. I tell you, you think you have problems because you're toes out of joint. You think the devil's after you, do you? Nothing to do with you. I tell you, the devil's not after everybody. Oh, the devil's after me today. The devil's not after you. A demon may be about. I tell you, if the devil gets a hold of you, he'll shake you. And you need to be able for the shaking when it comes. And he's speaking in this context. And he tells, them, he tells them in the first chapter, suffer patiently. Listen, stand your ground tonight if there's wild accusations being made against you. Just you stand the ground and shut up and let the Lord, he'll deal with you. You see, it says that this light shineth. Shineth. A lamp is no use if it is no battery. And a lamp is no use if his battery is not charged. If there's a low light, it will not shine. No one now is a country to a close. A light that shineth in this dark, squalid world in these last days. Peter says there's a light that shineth. Are you shining tonight? Are we shining tonight for the Lord? And if you're not shining, do you know why? It's not because you're not plugged in. You need to be plugged in if you're going to shine. You need to be plugged into the Word. You need to be plugged into prayer. You need to be plugged into the fellowship. You need to be in the prayer meeting. You need to keep plugged in. You'll not last if you don't. The light will go out. May God stir you up and get that fire back into your soul and get that light back into your, into, into your life. 
Let your light so shine before men that you might see that he might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need shining lights in this dark, squalid day. John the Baptist was a burning and a shining light. He not only burned, but he shone. The globe was clean. He shone out to all around him. Died in six months, by the way. The darker the night, the greater the light. Isaiah 60 says, Shine, arise and shine, for thy light hath come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Behold, darkness and gross darkness shall cover the earth and thy people. There's a few places at the moment, and I'm going to close now. There's a few places at the moment that's as dark as Afghanistan. And I tell you, there's a lot of persecution going on in Nigeria and other places. But there came an email too from a Christian fellowship in Afghanistan last week. And the woman said, pray for us. Taliban are coming this week and they're going to destroy us. We know that we're going to die this week and we refuse, we refuse to recant the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Where do, you, where do we stand with this now? Where do we stand with this? Pray for those dear people. Merciless, wicked. Men will destroy them. And wipe out every vestige of Christianity if they can. From Kabul and all around them place. A light that shineth. Are you shining in the factory? Are you shining in your home? Well, ah. Uh, uh, well, maybe I need to ask your son or your daughter or your wife. See what a sort of a light there is. Light, and I haven't time to do this. Light speaks of many things in the scriptures. It speaks, of course, not only of the saint, but of the Savior. I am the light of the world. Glory to God. A light that never can be put out. A light that never needed to be charged. Speaks of the scriptures, the word is a lamp onto our feet and the light onto our path. And that's why you're sitting so quiet tonight, for the light of the scripture is ministering into your soul. And sinner tonight, it's a light for you. The God of this world has blinded your minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel, the gospel of glory, I trust that this light is breaking in on your dark soul tonight, for it's a dark place. I'll tell you, there was no darker place than, this, than the heart and the soul of Paul, of Saul of Tarsus. It was dark. I tell you, it was dark. And suddenly there came a light from heaven, brighter than the noonday sun, pierced into the very soul of that man. And Peter knew, too, about the light when he was in prison. The angel came, do you remember? And the whole prison lit up. Glory to God for the gospel light. 
Glory to God for that light that can snap the chains and set you free this moment, now in this seat where you're sitting. If you want to be saved tonight, if you want your sins forgiven tonight, peace with God and assurance of heaven, cry out to God where you sit on your seat. Say, Lord, if you want to be restored tonight, let the light of this word slip into your heart tonight. Marvelous light. Peter calls it a marvelous light. Oh, praise God. Lord, keep me away from testifying. I look down here tonight and I see men and women who knew what it was that moment that the spotlight flashed into their soul. Glory to God. And a flashlight for our feet and a spotlight for our soul. Oh, my friend, listen. This is a marvelous light. It's the light of the glorious gospel. Take heed, he says. That's what he says. Listen. Listen, he says, take heed. I'm going to die. I'm going to move out of here. I'm going to leave this old body. I'm putting the old tent off and I'm going into the presence of the Lord. But before I do, take heed, take heed. There's a light. Be a light that shineth. But the light speaketh as well as shines, you know. Wouldn't have time to go into this tonight. But lastly, the light signals. says in verse 19, until the day dawn and the morning star arises. Now, Peter's swinging the spotlight of prophetical word up into the clouds and the darkness of the night. Now hear me. The morning star, the bright and morning star. You, you follow that in different places of the scripture. Now listen, he's talking here about the morning He's talking here about the morning until the day star arises in your heart. What's your heart after tonight? Are your heart seeking God tonight? Well, he says here, listen, this is a dark place. But he says, listen, you keep, you keep shining until the day star arises. Now that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself and we can prove that from other scriptures. Astronomers tell us the morning star, the morning star comes in a minuscule of a second. And if you're up in the right time, no matter where you live, if you're at the right moment, just at the darkest hour, and just before the dawn's about to break, there's a star flash. It's the morning star. It just flashes like that in a minuscule of a second. And Peter's talking about that's how quick he's going to appear. That's how quick he's going to appear. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the morning star shall arise with healing in his wings. And he's going to touch, my friend, in that dark hour when all is dark around us. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to descend the slopes of the sky and he's going to take us home. He says that in these verses. He's coming. He's coming again very soon. He's coming in the clouds of glory. The day star will come at daybreak and when the shadows flee away and we shall be ever with the Lord, 
when he descends from heaven with a shout and the dead in Christ shall rise first, the old mother, and I buried my old mother. Boy, she, I never knew her any other way with a head of white hair. Saved almost on her deathbed. God help her. We, we brother, he pulled the, pulled, 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 pulled the bar of porridge, boiling gruel from the fire. Boiling up gruel, pulled it over him. Scalded to death. Died on the way to hospital. Only three or four. I was at his grave one day, and one day, never saw him. One day I'm going to see him. And all the tears and the sorrows and the trials will all be over when the day star and the bright and morning star, the Lord Jesus Christ, descends from heaven, and he'll put everything right. It's worth holding on for, and it's worth shining out for, friends. Shine out for God in your workplace. But one day he's coming soon. And we'll all be united. And we'll see Stuart again. We'll be with the Savior. We'll be like him. And we shall know him. And we shall see him. Oh, I tell you, what a day that will be. And face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? Are you ready? Come on now. By grace are you saved through faith. Don't be waiting on feelings or waiting on works. Don't be talking about purgatory or soul sleep. It's absent from the body. It's right in the moment that you die. No, no, all saints day with the Lord. It's all right into the presence of God. Tell me this. Do you realize you're a sinner tonight? Do you realize that if you were to die tonight or Jesus were to come tonight, you would be left and lost forever? There's no hope. For this is the only light. There's no other light. That's why it's so important. There's no other light. Only this light. The light of the gospel. Look away to the cross and see him. See the zeal. Oh, I tell you, see the See the zeal. As he hung, stripped naked, crowned with thorns, his back like a ploughed field, the Son of God, the creator of all things. Talk about zeal. Talk about stirring. I tell you, my friend, if he, had, if he could be saved any other way, there was no need for God to send his only son to, to spit on his face, to pull the hairs from up his cheek, to mock him and to laugh at him and to let him die between two thieves. Died he for me who caused his pain. Come to Christ tonight. Come to the cross tonight. Come to Jesus tonight. There's no other way. Come down through this thing, through this door here. There's a room and there's a heater on. There's another room at the left. If you don't want to be seen coming out, go down the side and through this door. If you're a backslider, come back to Christ it's too, it's too late to fool about anymore. If you're not saved, be saved tonight. If you're a dead, lethargic Christian tonight, would you go home or would you come and get help and get cry to God to renew your vows and get out into the battle? May God help us in the days that lie ahead and the nights that we come into these scriptures. May God help us to be faithful to the word of God.
Let us pray. O God, our Father, thank you for thy dying servant, this man that saw more than most others. Yet, Lord, this is what he tells. O God, forgive me for my lack of zeal. Forgive me, Lord, for my lack of fire and power, lack of love and concern for the lost. O God, I pray tonight, Men and women will not see others, they'll not fear man, they'll not fear others, wives or families or children or body else, but they'll rise up and say, I want to come back to the Lord tonight, I want to be saved tonight, I want to renew my vows tonight, I want to put all on the altar for God tonight, I want to make a public stand for God tonight. May God help us. May God help them, Lord, and help us, Lord. Not only to preach this truth, but to live it out in these days for God and to be what you, Lord, would want us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.